tonight on This Is Vinyl Tap, giving the Ivies the finger. Wear your hair long, sing a love song. The old man, the child, the joker running wild. Columbia Records introduced the 33 and a third RPM long player record. One year later, RCA Victor introduced the 45 RPM single. Listeners now had a choice, only the hits or the full album. In the last half of the 60s, the best bands realized the potential of the longer format and began to build a cohesive body of music that must be heard unbroken. The arrival of downloadable music has increased the temptation to stay in the shallow end with the hits. This podcast believes every album tells a story. Tonight, we tell one of those stories. Good evening, Tapsters. This is Doug Cooper, your uh, very, very not humble host for This Is Battle Tap. I'm joined tonight by your extremely humble producer, Jonathan J.M. Rowe. Hello, Tapsters. That's enough, Jonathan. And we're also joined by... Tony Sagel. Uh, that's Slagle, Doug, but that's okay. Okay. We're, we're going to have to meet someday. Um, Tony Slagle. What did I say? Sagel. <laughs> Sagel's good, too. I'm, I mean, I like both. Um, but I don't judge. Anyway, we're uh, we're going to jump into a, uh, a fun album tonight. Uh, anybody who hates fun should just uh, hit the road right now because we have a fun album. This is a power pop album. And by my saying that, you should immediately say, aha, this is a Tony Sagel, Slagel, Snagel, <laughs> a Tony Snagel uh, pick. Tony, yeah, I have a question for you. Okay. Did Badfinger ever listen to the Beatles before they made a record? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. In fact, uh, they were the first band signed to Apple, uh, the Beatles label. So, yes, they listen to the Beatles. Now, I'm going to say something. I'm going to try to get this sentence out before I crack up. But why did you <laughs> why did you pick this album? <laughs> well, I, I, I think the funnier, the reason you're laughing is because of the band. Um, but Or maybe it's the album. But I picked this album because uh, I, I said this, I said this in the... Um, I said this when we were talking about Big Star. These guys are part of what I consider the power pop holy trinity. There's Big Star, there's Badfinger, there's the Raspberries. So we're talking about Badfinger tonight. Uh, and I knew I wanted to do them at some point. And when we were doing our list early on, I, I put Straight Up or No Dice on, which are the albums most people know the songs from. But this is my favorite Badfinger album. So I wanted to give it its due because it's not very well known. And we'll get into why that is as we discuss this, because it's really kind of a sad story. Um, you say it's a happy album, but the circumstances around it are anything but. Certainly not, um, yeah. I think that Badfinger is the happiest sad band of all times, maybe. <laughs> yeah, probably. They have the most tragic story, 
but their songs are just all sunshine. Yeah. And even yeah. when they're writing about uh, topics that aren't happy, it still sounds like sunshine. Yeah. yeah. And then the, the final reason I picked this album is the last album that the classic lineup of of uh, Pete Ham, Tom Evans, uh, Mike Gibbons, and Joey Mullen were on. That was the classic Badfinger lineup, and this was the last album they did as a, as a four-piece. And a lot of people are disappointed to find out that uh, Wish You Were Here is the Badfinger album and not some other band. Oh, yeah. Did we there. even say we were doing Wish You Were Here? <laughs> this is we are doing the Wish You Were Here album by Badfinger, and I promise what do you say? Double pinky cross or something like that promise? But uh, anyway. Pinky swear. Pink, we are going to cover the other uh, Wish You Were Here album that some of y'all may be familiar with. Yeah, this uh, this album predates that one by, I think, about 11 months. Maybe yeah. a little bit longer than that. But um, One of the things I want to bring up, say we're talking about the classic lineup. One of the things that makes that lineup so intriguing is that everyone in that band wrote. They uh, and you know, some and sang. You know, some wrote more than others. Pete Ham wrote more than probably just about anyone. But everybody, include in this album in, included, everybody wrote and sang. So it makes them one of the more unique uh, bands out there. I think. No, it's uh, it reminds me some some of uh, maybe Fleetwood Mac, where uh, the duties are uh, spread out all over the uh, yeah the album. Well, and that uh, just real quick, that's a valid point because a lot like the Fleetwood Mac, um, there's there's a cohesiveness. Even though there's four different guys writing the stuff, right. there's a cohesiveness to what they're what they're trying to do. Yeah, they all do have they do have a similar mindset, I would think, in their in their song craft, especially on this album. Yeah, and I, I, I want to say something. Uh, I provide a great service tonight <laughs> in that I've always been aware of Badfinger. They have lived on the periphery of my attention. I've, I've respected them, and I thought they were an interesting band, but I never dove in. And there are uh, nine songs on this album, all of which I have never heard before. Uh, this entire album I've never heard before. And I'm going to say at the very beginning, I like this Badfinger more than all of the Badfinger I have heard before. One of the things I think we need to do is make sure that our audience knows that they know Badfinger, because they do. I I have asked people for two weeks, can you tell me a hit by Badfinger? And almost everyone said no. A few people were aware of their association with the Beatles, but almost every single person could not name a hit. But the moment I played them one of Badfinger's hits, they uh, they recognized it immediately. So what I'm saying is, you do know this band, and you do know their songs. Uh, Tony, can you tell us about some Badfinger hits that these people have already heard? Well, yeah, their first big hit was uh, Come and Get It. If you want it, here it is, come and get it. which was a song written by Paul McCartney for the Magic uh, Christian soundtrack. Um, which they were not known as Badfinger at that point. Is that correct? Uh, well, they 
they were no, they were known as the, as the Ivies early on with an E, with an E, I V E Y S. Um, but when that song came out, uh, their current bassist left. They had a little bit of a lineup shift. No, no, it's what I saw. He's got kicked out. Yeah, well, yes, he he the, the their he manager was very he was bitter about it. He was his man. The manager didn't like the fact that he was married. And so I uh, <laughs> thought it went against it. Anyway, the attack, this is when the attack on marriage started, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Um, but so they did a lineup shift. Just to, answer, to address your point, Jam, they did a lineup shift. And when this this album came out of, of songs, uh, which uh, Come and Get It was one of the songs on the album, they decided they wanted to have a little freshening up. And so they renamed themselves Badfinger after an old Beatles song, uh, which was... Um, get by with a little help from my friends which was originally called the bad finger or bad yeah bad, bad finger, finger boogie. boogie yeah and they knew that and so they they just took that name they were actually brought to apple by mile evans who was uh who was associated with beals i think he was a roadie and he yeah, was also he their was personal their, kind assistant. Of their state. yeah he was just kind of their any go-to guy eventually just but, after they um, stopped touring so, so the important thing is we do not support the use of the bad finger uh, this is about an injury and not yes. about the naughty uh, finger in the middle of the hand that sometimes right. appears by a itself. A tall finger, as a friend of mine uh, calls so, it. We, we just want to assure parents out there that we are not in favor of the use of the naughty finger. Um, but anyway, that song, Come and Get It, was a song that, uh, that Paul McCartney brought to them because he had read in the back pages of a magazine that they weren't happy with the fact that the, they felt neglected by the Beatles. And so McCartney had been assigned to do these songs for this, this movie, Magic Christian, and he didn't want to do it. <laughs> but he wrote this song that he thought was perfect, and he brought it to him. And he said, you guys, I want you guys to do it. And they had ideas of their own. What happened to that, Tony? McCartney said, you do it exactly like it is. <laughs> and, and, and what's interesting is he he, try, he he auditioned. So Joey Moland, who was the one who replaced uh, the bassist at the time, yeah. um, Ron Griffiths. Uh, Ron Griffiths was in the band when they did when they recorded this. He was still in the band, and McCartney uh, auditioned all four of them to sing it. And Tom Evans ended up taking the lead the lead on it. It's a fantastic song. It's a great song, you know, and it sounds to me like a McCartney song, like un <laughs> un Uncle, like but from the uh, Uncle it, Albert. It sounds like Paul McCartney, not uh, Beatles. Not, I, well, I, I agree with that. If, yeah. You know, it's I think there's a version of McCartney's version on one of the. Um, yeah. anthologies yeah and it's that's a big word for you tony thank you <laughs> and it's uh it's essentially what he did for his first album he plays everything on it yeah. and they were recording abbey road at the time and he wanted to focus on that so that's another reason he wanted to give badfinger throw him a, a carrot and give him the song and 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 let them put two they put two other songs on the album on the soundtrack as well and then their first album was released and it was called magic christian music to to you know base yeah. on the fact that they did the soundtrack right so that's that was a uh, very successful song that i went think went like uh eight in the united states and uh, uh it was number it was number three in the uk and number seven in the u.s okay so yeah. you know pedantic i was off by one i'll tell you what's God. funny in 78 the late the they uh they later re-recorded it the version of badfinger that was available at the time and put it on a k-tel record <laughs> 
Uh, for those young people out there, Kate Tell used to sell, sell records on Saturday, or uh, it was actually on uh, afternoon, afternoon TV. TV yeah. yeah, and you could go get all the hits on one record. You didn't have Kmart to go out and buy. Or, uh, or, yeah, yeah. It was kind of the anti-vinyl tap <laughs> approach to music. <laughs> yeah, and, and then it, yeah, uh, we have a couple of other hits, Tony. Oh, uh, yeah. So so yeah then uh, they so the lineup change happens jo- Joey Mullen joins the band and they release an album called No Dice which had a song on it it was the first LP with the classic lineup that we're talking about tonight and it had a monster hit called No Matter What on it No matter what you And that was uh, that reached number eight in uh, in the U.S. and number five in the U.K. And the album peaked at number twenty-eight. So we're not talking about a band that didn't get recognition. Yeah. Um, also on that album was a song called "Without You." It's only fair that I should let you know what you should know. One of you guys want to talk about that? <laughs> <laughs> well, well yeah. everybody, if you haven't heard this song, that means you've been on an island in the South Pacific and you think World War II is still going on <laughs> and you're trying to hide from the Japanese. Um, Without You has been recorded by, I think, 108 people, and it's yeah. been a hit for a large number of people, including uh, Myra Carey, my, my, what, my, Maria? <laughs> anyway, I'm someone I listen Mariah to all Carey. the time instead of this old crap these guys are talking about. Mariah Carey <laughs> yeah. and uh, Harry Nielsen, of course, uh, who nailed it. And now it's only fair that I should let you know what you should know. Oh, I can't live. You ask anybody uh, my parents' age, and and they will say that Harry Nelson that that is Harry Nelson's song, and well, uh, it sold ten million copies for him. So. What, what's kind of cool about that song that's interesting, and what we're going to be talking about later is it was a, f- a fusion of two different songs. Pete that's Ham right. wrote the uh, the the chorus. verses, and Tom Evans wrote the chorus. And they ma- melded them together. Very Lennon McCartney. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then uh, we got about two more or three more that uh, you might want to bring up, Tony. Yeah. So then their follow-up album to No Dice was an album called Straight Up, which was released on Apple in '71. And what's interesting about that album is it was co-produced by Her- George Harrison and Todd Rundgren. Um, funnily enough, funnily is a word. Uh, <laughs> Uh, there's one of those guys the band's ha- the band has great things to say about, and there's one of those guys that the band has not so great things to say about. Which I think I'll we're going to hear about that guy next week. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, also, <laughs> just real, yeah. real quick before we talk about the songs, also on that album are um, are Leon Russell and Al Cooper. 
Um, oh, and Gary Wright. Oh, right. <laughs> it's, yeah. Yeah. All yeah. Things Must Pass keyboardist. Yeah. Yeah. So um, Harrison plays slide guitar on one of the big songs on it, Day After Day. Every day my mind is all around you Looking out from my lonely room Day after day Bring it home, baby, make it soon I give my love to you Another hit. Um, and and then uh, the final big hit off of that album was a song called Baby Blue, which got a bit of a, a, a second boost, yeah. a boost in life when it was the very last song played at the final episode of Breaking Bad. All that time without a And who produced that? Who produced Baby Blue? Todd Rundgren. Todd Rundgren did, right. So we have uh, Todd Rundgren and Al Cooper, who will continue to pop up in this podcast (laughs) all the time. Yeah, and he'll actually pop. He's got a great quote later on, I want to say, that they'll pop up. But what's funny about Baby Blue, that song hit number 14 um, uh, in the U.S. and was never released as a single in the U.K., because at that time, Apple was having, having some yeah. issues. Yeah. So, uh, so it was never released in the in the UK. But Day After Day was number four in the US, which that was a that was a monster hit as well. You know, people talk about power ballads as being something that was a band that the hair bands did in the eighties. But Badfinger, mm-hmm. I think, really embraced that sort of really power power ballad formula yeah in fact i read i was reading something today that that song invented the the power day after day yeah it's definitely a ballad but it doesn't sound like one or sound like one you've heard so is baby blue they both are um well um i'd like to take this opportunity to say uh something that makes absolutely no sense but is very real to me and that is I think Badfinger is a one-hit wonder with lots of hits. (laughs) That's a good way to... That doesn't make sense, and I'm not going to try to make that make sense, but uh, there's something about their sound that makes me think when I... If I heard just one of their songs, I'd go, oh, yeah, this is a one-hit wonder. And then the next one would come and go, oh, yeah, yeah, this also is a one-hit wonder. And you could probably go down the list of 12 songs that I've heard before, and and I would say that. And I don't know why they seem that way to me, but they are such a pop band. I think that's exactly... That's it, because it doesn't seem... you, You don't listen to them, and I'm gonna... This album is an exception. You don't listen to them for the album experience. You don't put it on like it's a Sgt. Pepper's. You don't put it on like it's a Pet Sounds. The, you, you don't listen to Badfinger the same way. At least I haven't. I've, well, never, sought the, I've never sought a Badfinger album out. I, I can honestly say that um, yeah, we, I, didn't pick, I didn't pick Straight Up just because it's a big album, but Straight Up is one of those albums that I, um, I think it wor- is worth listening to full. full. 
And what I want to say, and see if you guys agree with me on this, um, I think you said, Doug, before we started, that there's a Beatles connection here, sound as well as everything else, but it's very McCartney heavy. And I'll go a step further. The reason why these guys, to me, are always linked with the Beatles is because they sound like what the second side of Abbey Road is. It's like they took the Abbey Road version of the Beatles and just kept moving with that sort of approach to music. I can see that. If you take off uh, Harrison and Lennon. But I, I, I guess, but that whole second side, even the Harrison Lennon songs have that kind of... I don't hear Mean Mr. Mustard Seed on here very much. Well, I, I do yeah, hear something. You have it. The, the thing is, if you listen to something, in no, that's not the one I, I'm, I'm thinking of, uh, because I'm thinking, of, I'm thinking yeah. of because, because, but if you, if you're just talking about this album, I get that. But if you listen to straight up, listen to that album, okay. I know we're not talking about it. It has that feel. And that's bad sort of took that. They're very McCartney influenced. Um, he was, he and, he and Harrison were the ones that took the biggest interest in the band. Yep. They did play on imagine, um, they're kind of, we talked about this a little bit, they were the Apple house band in a way. So they, they played on Imagine? They did. They played on Imagine. Oh, I wish you hadn't told me <laughs> they that. Played on, they played on All Things Must Pass. Which surprised me. They were on the, uh, they they were the ba- basically the backup band for the concert for Bangladesh. And when Harrison plays um, something, it's him and Pete Ham from Badfinger on acoustic guitar. Wow. And, and the also, concert for ba- Bangladesh. Right. And then they're also um, they're on Ringo's Don't Come Easy, which, oddly enough, was the second Beatles song, Beatles composed song that was offered to them. And they passed on it because they didn't they th- th- that connection was sort of a blessing and a curse. Is that a George Harrison song that don't come easy? No, that's uh, Ringo. Ringo. I know. But did, who, who wrote, wrote it? it? Oh, I think photo. He, I think, I think he did. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, I I, always, I think he wrote photograph too. But. I I can imagine being alive when the Beatles. I mean, I was six or something when they broke up, and I can I can imagine being a real life adult saying, "Okay, here we go, <laughs> ding! They broke up. We're at the starting gate. Who's going to have the first big hit?" Yeah. And, and everybody and places their bets, and it's, it's Ringo. Ringo. Yeah. <laughs> no, but but what what's funny about that song or that connection? So you know they they were. They they got a lot of good press or a lot of press in general because of the Beatles connection, the Apple connection. As you said, they were the first band signed to Apple, but it was also a bit of a curse because they they didn't want to be this band that had to rely solely on the Beatles giving them songs. So they wanted to write their own hits, and we talked about several of them. The song outside of uh, "Come and Get It," every one of those songs, including "Without You," were penned by guys in the ba- in Bad yeah. Fingers. So. Yeah. That, no, there. Uh, there's no question. These guys are uh, exceptional songwriters, particularly of pop songs. Um, and this good album, musicians. I mean, there there there's some good stuff on this album. The, the musicianship on this album is is outstanding. I and think. very competent singers. Yeah. There's there's uh, something else I notice about this album. And this is my second comment that doesn't make any sense. This album is filled with very accessible pop tunes. And none of them have a hook, and I've never encountered that before. I think that's that's really interesting because hmm. none of these became a hit, and I know there's other reasons, but none of them grab you with a hook. But when you're listening to them, they all sound like very accessible pop tunes, and I, I don't understand why that is. But there's no there's no guitar 
hooks. Like, there, 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 there. Nair, I don't nair, know if nair. I agree 100% I think with I'm that. I'm going to disagree a little bit. I think there's, Tell me a guitar hook. Uh, when we get to the song, I'll tell you. I've got it in my notes. But yeah, there is one guitar hook that I think is is pretty... Uh, I hear... Uh, it's complicated. No matter. Yeah. That's no a hook what. right away. No, it is. And and then I, I, uh, all of these songs, they are very attractive to me, and they're easy to uh, get your head around. You don't have to work hard to find out where the tune is. Yeah. But I don't hear a hook. And I just. I, you, I, you're right in a sense that you can't. You, you're not going away. You're humming the song. You're not humming the hook. Well, it's I, not like Funky Town where you're going. Doo, doo, or doo, doo. Uh, come a come a come a come a come yeah. a chameleon. I mean, you you, you hear uh, that I song see, okay, once I and see. you're stuck on that. I see what you're saying. Although I will say there were songs on this album that I was, as JM said, I was whistling the song because they're earworms right away they are earworms oh yeah there's oh, yeah. earworms in this song oh the end song. of yeah well, the end of one of the songs I've, I've had it in my head since the day i i listened to it uh, um I'm, I'm not afraid you know i'm i'm a bold person i'm not afraid to be wrong so <laughs> i i don't know how much we want to get into i think we need to get into a little bit before we talk about the album about the we, circumstances. I, I do too I, I i uh i'm very interested in the way this band went from Nothing to the Beatles' favorite. It seems relatively quickly. Yeah. It's, it seems like they were blessed and cursed at the same time. Well, it, it almost cursed from the beginning because when the Ivies recorded, they had a song called "Maybe Tomorrow." Maybe tomorrow I will love again. I never know until I've looked into her eyes. Maybe tomorrow I will love again. They um, they recorded. They were one of these bands because they were signed in '68. So they were one of these bands where they were trying to come out with singles. They weren't working on an album per se. And when Apple decided to put an Ivy's album out, also called Maybe Tomorrow, it was essentially a collection of songs. But here's where here's where things start to get. You kind of see that maybe this is this isn't uh, this band has a black cloud over them. <laughs> um, so the song Maybe Tomorrow was actually the, the, a lot of the songs were produced by Tony Visconti. Which is I guess yeah, he, worked, he worked for Apple. Yeah, and he's uh, he's a guy who's probably going to come up again and again in, in future podcasts. He worked uh, with Bowie. Um, basically, the whole glam rock thing right. wouldn't happen without Tony Visconti. But so he so they re- release this album maybe tomorrow or they do it. They put this collection up, and uh, Alan Klein is at that point involved with running Apple, and he's looking at the finances, and he decides we're not going to release any non-Beatles stuff anymore. So this Maybe Tomorrow album gets released in Japan, West Germany, Italy, and it's, it charts there, but it was never released in the U.S. and, and never released in the U.K. <laughs> so it died. So that's why they went back and did the, the, the Magic Christian album um, ah. under Badfinger. But so from the very beginning, there was issues with their albums actually, scheduled released albums actually getting released. So that's the first sort of yeah. thing here. Yeah, uh, This band seemed to come out of nowhere. It's uh, half the members are Welch, and uh, I had to look that up. There is a place called Wells. <laughs> it's beautiful. So yeah, right, there's two off. there's two Welsh guys in this band, and there's two Liverpudlians in this band as well. Um, so uh, Tom uh, Tom Evans and um, Joey Moland are from Liverpool, and uh, Pete Ham 
and Mike Gibbons are Welsh. So yeah, so we, we talked briefly about uh, them releasing Magic, uh, the Magic Christian album under the name Badfinger. They do some reshuffling. When Joey Mullen joins the band, he was told that they were looking for a guitarist. And what's funny about that was they lost a bassist, so why did they get a guitarist? Well, Tom Evans decided it, they would open up their search if he just took on the bass. So he threw the guitar down, took on the bass, which allowed Loud, Joey, yeah. Joey Mullen. Now, Joey Mullen knew, because he's from Liverpool, he knew the Ivies because they're in they're a Mersey Mersey uh, Mercy beat yeah Mercy beat band anyway but he thought they were I love this word he thought they were a bit twee which is, <laughs> which is a British word for you know kind of not very serious a little light um, yeah anyway but his friends kept telling him listen these guys are connected to the Beatles you need to go down and you need to try this out so he did and and they you know they they liked him he also. I don't know how much of this had to do with, because I think the guy's very talented, but how much of this had to do with him getting the nod. But he also bears a striking resemblance to Paul McCartney, which I think probably might have had something to do with it from their manager thinking, oh, we've got this cute McCartney lookalike as well. It's no knock on him because you think he's a great musician. But so anyway, so then they like like we talked about, they do no dice. They do straight up. Um all, both for Apple, um, they 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 sign a, a management deal. So Alan Klein was this uh, kind of loud, acerbic New Yorker <laughs> who Lennon had gotten in to manage the Beatles and take over. And who did he who manage who did he manage before the Rolling Stones? Oh, there you That's go. That's the whole reason why they they he came up. He was the one who came up with the "Hey guys, don't go back to England." do all your recording anywhere else besides England so you won't get taxed. Yeah, that's because uh, I think McCartney was pushing for his in-laws, to one of his in-laws, to be a, a manager. Yeah, and so uh, that McCartney's, was McCartney's, uh, Linda Eastman's. Yeah, one of the Eastman's. Anyway, uh, so because of that, they felt, Badfinger felt like they needed a little help. So their, um, their manager at the time, Bill Collins, goes to New York and he's looking for kind of an Alan Klein-like person and he ends up meeting this guy named Stan Poley, who the band ended up signing with. And for all accounts, from all accounts, it was a disastrous choice. <laughs> this guy ended up spending the next five years ripping this band off. Yeah. Worse than probably any manager in the history of music managing. Um, we'll talk about that interspersed a little bit. But... Um, the reason I bring it up now is because their contract with Apple was about to expire. Yeah. And so he talked them into leaving and go and getting signed with Warner brothers. So their last album on Apple was an, an album called ass, which is a fine album. Um, probably best known for the single apple of my eye which is a not so subtle thank you letter kind of homage to apple records oh i'm sorry but it's time to move away though inside my heart i really want to stay believe the love we have is so sincere this is, again, kind of the history of the band. It was recorded in 72. It was not released until 73 in the U.S. and 74 in the U.K. It was originally delayed because Apple didn't like the production values. But then <laughs> there was an issue with 
copyright and publishing thing, so they, they, they delayed it even further. And the reason that's important is because when they get signed to Warner Brothers, and they get a pretty lucrative deal, it's a $3 million six-album deal where the band's going to get some pretty decent money as well mm -hmm. as a $225,000 advance for every record. So they, they record their first album for Warner Brothers, and which is called Badfinger, and it's released, and then a month after it, Apple releases Ass. So Badfinger is competing with, <laughs> themselves, competing with themselves on the charts. <laughs> ass and Badfinger are competing with themselves, and and you know neither one of them did very well. Yeah. Go just real quick. Going into the recording of this album, uh, Warner Brothers decides to start looking at the finances for this Badfinger <laughs> Enterprises management company. That's yeah, they're they're itself. really under the gun. Yeah, and they realized that this escrow account that they had put this advance in had been drained. So Badfinger goes in to record Wish You Were Here, which we're going to talk about, and then that album has all sorts of delay issues because of that. And in fact, it when it is finally released, it's pulled seven weeks after it's released. Seven weeks after that album is released, they pull it off the shelves for leverage. Um, and this is in 1974. Uh, the album was getting get great reviews. It was at the time selling over 25,000 units a week. It was charting. I think it was hit number seven, 174 or something on the top 200, and it was moving, and Warner Brothers pulled it because of this issue with their finances. So that Jeez. is kind of the the history, the, the, the scene going on with this band as they're going in and dealing with this uh, album. You know, and you would like to think that the album got released, it's, it got phenomenal reviews. You would think that would be a happy ending for this band. But it wasn't. No. This so. is the non-happy ending band <laughs> of all like time. One of the, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a very tragic story at, in the end. And it really has very little to do with these guys themselves. They, they did absolutely nothing wrong, which is really a very sad. They're thing. innocent as dubs, but yep. they forgot to be as shrewd as serpents. Yes. I think it's worth talking about Chris Thomas, who this is his third album he produces for Badfinger. But who is Chris Thomas? Chris Thomas uh, was a uh, very he worked very closely with the Beatles. He mixed uh, a lot of the White Album, but um, he went on to produce um, a lot of other bands, including the Pretenders, who we'll be talking about, uh, who we've talked about in a previous podcast. Um, so he kind of was he, familiar with the Beatles sounds, uh, uh, their, their mixing techniques, he, uh, their miking techniques. So a lot of the reasons you're going to, some of the sounds might sound Beatlesque, and it's probably because of, of Chris Thomas. Some of it was recorded at um, Air Studios, which was owned by George Martin. But part of it was recorded, and a good bit of it was recorded at Caribou Ranch Studios in Nederland, Colorado. Uh, ski resort is the area. Still there? I'm sorry. Is the studio still there? No, the studio is not there. The studio. And there are no caribou. There are no. <laughs> there are no caribou. Uh, it was actually formed in 1972. A lot of albums have been recorded That's there. Elton John went there, didn't he? That's exactly right. The most famous album that was recorded there was uh, "Caribou" uh, by Elton John. Dunk. Uh, what was he? Island Girl. <laughs> the first album that was uh, recorded there was um, by Joe Walsh, and it was kind of by accident. 
and it got to be very popular. It was kind of a, a nice retreat out. Yeah, Rocky Mountain, Mountain High there. Yeah, out in the you can see the Rocky Mountains out there. I uh, the the one thing uh, just real quick, just circling back to Chris Thomas, that I think is interesting because between doing the Badfinger album in '74, which is this one, and the Pretenders album '79, he produced. The Sex Pistols. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, that's right. That's right. Which I knew he'd done somebody weird. else yeah. <laughs> It's yeah. a weird thing. But yeah, yeah, weird thing. That's probably more bullets. like hurting than producing. <laughs> yeah. So before we talk about the album, I just wanted to briefly talk about the wh- how it was received. It was received quite well. So Rolling Stone said it was loaded with songs that are both catchy and electric, a wonderful album to play right through. Which is exactly what we talk about on a weekly basis. They copied us. They did. Cream said it was uh, better than anything the actual solo Beatles have ever recorded uh, up until this point. Uh, And it was a masterpiece. Uh, Phonograph, which I'm not familiar with, but they stated the LP was was uh, bursting with songs that deserve to be hits. A sparkling LP, one of the year's best. This album is roundly considered by people who like this band to be their best album, or it's at least a favorite by Badfinger fans. Um, well, and- I, I will have to say, I think I already said this, and if I did, please remove it, but I like this Badfinger much better than any other Badfinger I've ever heard. Yeah. Well, the thing, I, I, I knew nothing about this album going into it. I, I'm, I'm not sure that I've ever listened to a full Badfinger album all the way through before, like... Doug was saying, it's. I just think of them as like That's a hits. crime. It's a crime. I know. It is a crime. And this is something that makes me want to go back and listen to Badfinger album. All right. So do you want to get into the album? We're going to get into the album. And tonight, ladies and gentlemen, we have something special for you. Instead of just announcing the name of the song and, and going into it that way, we're doing a trivia contest between uh, Jonathan J.M. Rowe, our humble producer, and Tony Senegal, <laughs> Shagel. Um, and uh, the first question, I really don't have one for the first uh, song, so I'm going to pretend that I do. Uh, our first song tonight, Just a Chance, who wrote that? Pete Ham. Okay, Tony gets that round. <laughs> I think to, uh, if they were all like that, Jam would get his ass kicked tonight. Yeah, but fortunately, they are getting killed. What about this song? Well, I, I think this song's a fantastic way to open this album. It's it, very rockerish. If, if if it wasn't if it wasn't for the last song on this album, this would probably be my favorite song on this album. I love the way that it starts off, I, and I I, mean, I I think it's a great opening to an album. I'm going to say something, and I don't mean this to be a slight on it. Uh huh. But you know, it, 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 in those classic '70s uh, sitcoms, you know, where where the main cast members are forming a band for uh-huh. some sort of reason, and uh-huh. they wind up winning some sort of contest. But the reason why they entered the contest was to win money so that they could like save a dog, like or something. the silver platters. Yeah, the sil- silver platters. Then the rest of the series, they they never 
that band doesn't exist anymore. This is what that sounds that like. That sounds you. like this this song sounds like that to well, me. And I'm not that's not a slight. Oh, it's no, a very good a it's a, it's, it's a <laughs> <laughs> you're comparing them to the Bernie Bunch band and it's not a slight. Look, uh this this is uh, okay, if you had to check a power pop checklist. Yeah. It's under 3 minutes. Check. It's got crunchy guitar. Check. Yeah. It's full of bright harmonies. Check. Yeah. It I mean, it's it's um you know, it's got all that stuff. It's a it's a love song, although it's a weird love song because it's essentially Pete Ham wrote it because he was at the time dating a woman who was previously married to one of their roadies, a guy named Ian Ferguson and his yeah. wife Ann, and they'd been separated. And Pete Ham was dating her, and while they were at Caribou Ranch, all the other guys in the band and their and their significant others were just relentlessly giving Pete Ham the business about this. Yeah, and so he wrote this song about that. Um, so on the surface, it's it seems almost like it's because there are songs yeah, on this it, album that are kind of pleased to the label, you know, please give us, and it seems like it might be them well, even the it. name of it, just a chance. Yeah. And even when you hear the, the the opening lines, it does just kind of sound like I, that that's not they didn't lock themselves in a closet trying to figure out what am I going to say, what am I going to say. This could, I think, this could have been a, a, I think this could have been the single off the album, and I think it would have charted. And I think it would have been a hit. It sounds enough like their other singles. Uh, that I think it, it could have done well. I, I I agree that it's immediately accessible, but I don't hear a hook, and uh, I'm fascinated by an album like this that can do that so many times. Huh. With uh, you can you can immediately pick up the melody and the tune and the meaning, and uh, but there's no uh, but yeah no hook. But I uh, love the way those guitars come oh, me in too. at the very beginning. Um, and, is this the most guitarish song in here? I mean, I know probably. there's leads it's probably, and others. It probably it's is, probably yeah. the the one that where but they stand are, out the most. These are the guitars participating in the song, and there's other there's other songs with more uh, and, lead solos. But this, uh, yeah. And, but that's it's interesting that you, I think it's worth mentioning this the, just right here since you brought up the leads. I think this is another thing this band artfully does. All of the solos on these songs are they're just like perfect little snippets. And they're tuneful little solos, mm-hmm. and they just fit perfectly with what the band's trying to do. It's not, I mean, I would think it's right up your alley, Doug. It's not somebody trying to be flashy or whatever. It's not a wink rama None no, of these are, no. There's, no, there's no, really it, not a wasted note on any of these. I songs. don't, I don't get the opinion that any musician on this album's showing off, which is, um, always refreshing. A good, yeah. Always a good thing. <laughs> right. Okay. Now I have a, I have a trivia question for the <laughs> next song. Okay. You're so fine uh-huh. has a brief interlude that sounds like it was completely ripped off. This is at the end of the chorus, I believe. Sounds like it was completely ripped off by which Jefferson Starship song? Oh, geez. Yeah, you got me. I'm not going to get that.
way back. No. Uh, Jane. Jane. That, I always get those two mixed up. When anyway. you Next time you listen to it, listen to that deal where it slows down at the end of the, I think it's a chorus, and it plays this little deal. It, I went, oh, whoa. <laughs> yeah, Jeff- I can see that. Yeah, Jefferson Starship either accidentally bumped into this or completely ripped it off. I was thinking about that part, that, that breakdown in the middle of Find Your Way Back. The songs, You're So Fine. Uh, I like this song better than its predecessor, and I believe it has some nice uh, uh, slide guitar on it. Yeah. Who's who's doing that? Pete Ham. I was I was wondering if it was an uncredited George Harrison. By no, 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 no. Pete Ham. It doesn't sound like George Harrison Pete, very much. Pete Ham was a, a a very fine slide guitarist. The only reason George Harrison plays it on No Matter What is because he said, "Hey, do you guys mind if I play this?" And they weren't about to say <laughs> no. Yeah. Uh, Thanks but, for the money. But no, no. He, he's a fine, and he plays. There's there's other slide on this album, and he plays a fine slide. Yeah, uh, this is a little kind of a little birdsy country rock ditty, um, yeah. written by the drummer. Mike yeah. Gibbons. I'm not sure who sings it though. Um, he does not sing it supposedly, but I can't tell. I mean, I know I can't Pete. Tell who's I know Pete Ham is on it, yeah. but the little bit where it's not, uh, where there's no harmony. I don't know if that is Joey Moland or if it's. Well, they're Tom one Evans. of those bands with some some pretty indistinguishable uh, lead. Well, the, the, there's two. There's two principal singers that you can tell apart immediately, but I get it does get muddled. And on this well, song, I I never could uh, this. This album only has one Tom Evans composition on it. And so he it's it's very much a Joey Mullen Pete Ham album. Okay. And so they're they're sharing most of the vocal duties on it um with the exception of a couple of songs. But uh yeah, I think Pete Ham you can tell right off. That guy's voice is distinctive, mm-hmm. but the other guys it's a little difficult sometimes. Anyway, I okay. like it. It's so, a good song. Another, it is another it is 3 a, minute, uh, another 3 minute 3 ditty. minute ditty. Yep. It's it's uh it starts this this album starts out extremely strong. Uh here is the next question for my two experts. I bet I know what it's gonna be about. You do, so shut up and let Tony have a chance. Um Got to get out of here. Gotta get out of here. Man feels the space begins to need the wall. Gotta be honest here. Maybe someone fills the space behind the ball Maybe not at all Sounds like which recording artist that we know personally. Well, you are you you you've texted Shut up. it to us. <laughs> Just pretend. <laughs> oh, uh, Beaver Nelson. Yeah, that's right. This is the most Beaver Nelson sound ever. <laughs> Song that Beaver Nelson didn't sing. <laughs> I don't even think Beaver was probably what three years Two. old when this song came uh, out. I don't even know if he was born yet. Well, I guess I was, yeah, I was <laughs> um, eight, I think, when this album came out. So, yeah, this is the first Joey Mullen song in the album. It's about it's about his frustration with the financial situation of the band, and it's obvious. And it, it's basically him saying, I gotta get out of here. Yeah, um. Yeah. I, I I really like this song. It's, it's a great not song. just because it sounds like Beaver. Um, <laughs> it's it's got this just it's it's a mellow song, but I just love that just kind of churning guitar yeah. that's in the background. It's that that it, it sounds like an open tuning, uh, and it's got that spark. It's real sparse instrumentation. The the then the that it goes on. It it it, it keeps kind of building. 
with the with those kicks coming in, but it never just goes into a giant sort of crescendo or anything like that. It, it's just um, it's got that organ, and then I think there's a synthesizer in there at some point. That it just it's a very interesting song. There's not a lot of songs that are done like that. Next trivia question: Which childhood game does the drummer play with the singer on this song? seat red light green light oh this uh song is no one knows and if you listen to it closely the singer sings and then the drummer jumps in and plays some things and then he jumps out and lets the singer sing again it's very interesting uh how they do that i i think it's worth mentioning uh since you brought him up that mike gibbons is easily as much responsible for the sound of this band as anybody else in this band. His drumming is, I mean, Badfinger's drumming is very unique. He's not considered, you know, people don't talk about him about being a great drummer, but when you listen to Badfinger, that his, it, it's it's a signature sound he's got. And this song in particular has got some pretty interesting... Well, I mean, the, the song, yeah, the song it. before it, uh, Gotta Get Out of Here, just the, he, I think the only thing he plays is a kick drum and a hi-hat in... That's some of the most interesting, that's, to me, very interesting the way he plays it. So, uh, you guys uh, you guys know about the Japanese speaking part in the middle of it, right? I don't know. I, know I, I thought a, that was French. At first, I thought it did, was French. We so did, uh, yeah. we did uh, Rod Stewart last week, so I here's, assumed all sexy no. women speaking during the Here, middle of the song Here's a French. bit of a side note about that. So, in the middle of the song, uh, and unfortunately, it's over the guitar solo, mm-hmm. which I don't think is great, but whatever. There's a Japanese woman sing, basically saying uh, the chorus in Japanese. Um is it just Japanese? It's Japanese. It, no, it's Japanese. Is her, it, it is definitely Japanese. Very effeminate uh, Japanese. Yes. Her name is uh, Mika Kato. Yeah. She was a lead singer of a Japanese progressive rock band who at the time was also being produced by Chris Thomas. Mm-hmm. Married to the lead, sing- lead guitarist of that band. And while they're working on the LP, Chris Thomas ran off with her. And took her to Colorado while Bad Fingers recording this album, <laughs> and so he she ends up divorcing the guitarist and marrying Chris Thomas. But uh, <laughs> yeah, this is fun. another song about uh, Pete's relationship with Ann Ferguson. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know why it's spelled the way it is. Yeah, I don't know that, why that, and that's there's two. Uh, no, it's K N O W. Yeah, it's yeah. weird. I don't There's, get it. it. They do that on t- "You're So Fine" is also Y O U R, not Y O apostrophe R E. Oh, you're right. I hadn't thought about that. Um, so I'm wondering why they it's they very did that. Deep. Very yeah. deep. I guess they just they put those names of the song. They, they asked. Uh, Siri to name the song. That's <laughs> yeah, weird. I always thought there was an apostrophe after "you're so fine," but you're right. It's your. It's like it's your so fine. Yeah, yeah my, get, my so fine. You're so fine. You get really chewed out for doing that on Facebook yeah. nowadays. If, this next song, Uh-oh. it's the last song of Side One. The host of 
This is Vinyl Tap was convinced that this song was about which drummer? Start to tell you how we couldn't start to tell you how there's just no way to say how much we love you. You little Danish you, you're full of new surprise. Dennis Murray for David Bowie? I'm guessing no, that's not right. I have no idea. The Beach Boys. Oh, Dennis Wilson. Dennis Wilson. So I was confident and feeling very smug that this was about him until I noticed it was about five years before his death. <laughs> and that um, then I read it's about uh, <laughs> the the child of one of the girls the guy was. <laughs> yeah, it's Anne, Fer- it's Anne Ferguson. But if you listen to kid. it, it goes, boot up, bada up. But they do all these Beach Boy sounds, and I was just walking around the gym so confident that I had busted the key on this one. And I, it's absolutely not about anything with that. And Do you know uh, why it's called Dennis? Dennis the Menace? Yeah. So this kid... Really? Uh, yeah, the kid it's about, his name was Blair. It was Ann Ferguson's um, son. He took her purse, <laughs> and, and this is re- this is related in the song... Uh, he took her purse and and went and took the change out of it and emptied a gumball machine, <laughs> and uh, and so uh, Pinham was inspired to write a song about this mischievous kid, and he didn't want to name it Blair for obvious reasons. I mean, she was <laughs> kind of yeah. going through; she's trying to get a divorce and whatever. So he named it Dennis after Dennis the Menace. I, the thing, the odd thing about this song is it's very dramatic, considering it's about a Dennis the Menace character. Well, it doesn't loosen up until. You get towards the end, and yeah. then you start. Oh, okay, okay, now it makes sense. It's the longest song outside of the yeah, two medleyest song, songs yeah. on the second side. I, I think it's a little long. If I was going to have a nitpick about That's this song, one, I, would I think give the it, atro- outro is a, just slightly too long. I think if it was an homage to uh, Dennis yeah. Wilson, it would be perfect, but it's not. And, and it's, <laughs> well, and then uh, it's to me, it's. It, and to me, this is the only one where I think they may have gotten a little bit out of their comfort zone. I think they were. It almost sounds like they were trying to do a Pink Floyd. It's what it's a little bit here. So, do you know the bada bada? It's that's what made me so confident that it was a Beach Boys. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't know. I, I and then, but the, the if it had kept going that way. But the end, you keep yeah, going. It's yeah, not. It's, it's not ending. I, did they do it things ended. like? like this on their other albums where they depart a little bit from their sound and uh experiment not uh maybe on the album prior to this the the first album on warner brothers not yeah. so much on the apple records the next song they're about to do a but bunch. okay so but here's the, here's the thing that it, but but to me that the, the very end okay so the very end of this song i really like because it does sort of all the chaos it kind of it doesn't become chaotic necessarily but it it does kind of there's a little bit of a bombast that's going on there and then towards the very end it's like all right we're going with the beach boy theme we're kind of taking the ship into a nice little peaceful harbor and we're just going to kind of i just think it's just and this is a nitpick i just think that ending is slightly a little too long i agree with you it's a little too long i just i wish that it had just 
but I do like the way that it it, it it's a, look. I don't dislike any. Songs. I like the way that it turned. I, I, this song could have. It was a five minute song. It could have been a four minute song. No, I agree with you. Yeah, I agree. All right. <laughs> so, flipping her over. Side. We two. are. We are now at side two. So <laughs> all good tapsters know that when we go to song one on side two, we have a hit. Here. Except it's not. <laughs> but I of every I have looked forward to talking about this song more than any song uh, on this album. I love the way it so opens. Can I say that uh, I listen to this album a lot, but I hadn't listened to it in a while, and I hadn't listened to it since we did El Dorado. Oh damn it! So I put this song on, I put this album on, and after the beginning of the song, I, I'm expecting to hear, The Dreamer, The Unwelcome Fool. Um, now, now, the difference, if I can say this, because I know... Uh, I know prepared. I was hoping you would have been prepared. Yeah, I know, well, it's the most ELO-y song that ELO didn't do, right? Um, but I'll tell you what the distinction is between this song and an ELO song. It shows restraint. <laughs> I will give you that, it, and and I it is just like this. All it is is one. It's like a minute of a this discord at the at discordant chord. But and, you can't listen to that and not think of El Dorado. Oh can no, you? no, you can't think of. Yeah, yeah. I can't believe. Oh, yeah. I'm so disappointed. I'm sorry, Doug. I should have let you go. <laughs> all um, right. Well, I love it. I love it when songs start like that, and then it <laughs> then it just kind of comes into the. And it, it, that's one of the reasons why I, I like you. Well, so, so much. what's so funny about this? The first part of this song. This is a song that was two songs. One, the first part was written by the <laughs> it drummer. Been five. Yeah, I know. It's written <laughs> by the drummer Mike Gibbons, and the second part was written by Joey Mullen. Mike Gibbons talks uh, about how. He, he he and Chris Thomas almost got in a fist fight when they were recording this because he that. kept yeah. making him do it. Oh, he's like, it's not right. And he's like, yes, it is. It's right. He's like, no, it isn't. It's not right. Yeah. And he and and uh, and he actually con- had to convince him to sing it. So so Mike Gibbons sings the lead on this portion of the song, and he didn't want to because he didn't think his voice was good. And Chris Thomas made him sing it, and it's fine. I think yeah. it sounds fine. But it is. Uh, here's a funny thing as well. People call it a prog song. They say it's a bad song. I was about to say it's song. the most proggy song on the I, if album. You, it's prog if you think ELO is prog, which I don't. So, okay. well, you know, well. I know other people do, but they're wrong. Well, fortunately, that's not the only thing I have to poke Tony about Uh-oh. on this song. Um, it absolutely sounds like something off of El Dorado. I couldn't believe. I felt like I was being delivered. Well, the up. beginning of it does, but then it's got that. No, it goes way far away way, from it. it goes where way. you can't even remember the beginning. Yeah, yeah when and, Joey Mullen's yeah, exactly. se- section kicks in, when when the uh, when the some other time section yeah. kicks yeah. in, yeah. which and, is, in my opinion, the better part of the song. I I agree, and I have to say from the very beginning. This is my absolute favorite song on the album. Without no one is even close. And, and we did we tell the say the name of it? Uh, in the meantime, some other time. Yeah. It 
I absolutely this is this song captivated me and uh, it is <laughs> I well, it captivated me. I yeah. was looking for I was like I, I I go okay the the inconsistency alarm is going to be fired <laughs> off. I've got to be prepared to talk about yellow cuz yeah. it's but it's so funny I never I But you I, know I what your you know what your uh, Eldorado came out before this. No, it's the same year. Oh really? <laughs> yeah, so I don't think they're connected. If they oh, are, weird. I'll be shocked. Yeah, that's but, weird. I would have thought Badfinger heard that album and took and, and I would have too, but I'm not going to accuse him of that because the next thing I'm going to say, I'm absolutely sure they weren't influenced by. But uh, the the uh, verse at the very beginning, yeah, it's it sounds so much like sticks. I couldn't. I thought that. I gotta say, I, I went. This could be a stick song. God, if sticks had done something like this, I might actually like them. And and when I say it sounds like sticks, um, that's not an insult. No. I just it. I guess it's the guy that's singing. Yeah, he sounds the drummer. like sounds uh, like Dennis DeYoung. Well, it's just, and there's something about just the way the way that, he's phrasing it. Yeah, the way things are being phrased. Um, so. But then the guitar, when the guitars start coming in, that's when things start changing and, for me. That but this this really whole song, yeah. this so, this song does not stay the same. No, it 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 is a collection song. of song. I, yeah. I really 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 liked it I, when I was doing my uh, due diligence to go through this album. I kept doing too much due diligence on this song because it was so well, good. It, but I, I will honestly say I've listened to this album a bazillion times and it wasn't until I pulled it out recently to for the podcast where I put this on and went, oh my god, that's an ELO song. <laughs> but, well, this is the one where I think the guitar parts where, where the riff, the guitar riff is a little bit of it's a hooky. Candy. Yeah, yeah I do of... too. And, and that's, Tony, I hate to do this, but there is one of the most Eric Clapton sounding leads. <laughs> um, it's it reminds me of Eric Clapton on uh, Harrison's Cloud Nine. Yeah, where uh, like on the the Devil's Radio, where Clapton lays down that lick. Yeah, this this lead towards the end sounds so much like that. And of course, it's I mean it's thirty years later, but. Uh, I just thought about here's here's Tony's got sticks, uh, ELO and Eric Clapton all on this this song, well, which which I it's a fantastic song. I'm it it's if there's one takeaway from this album I will never let go of. It's going to be the song. Yeah, that's funny. I mean, I I thought as soon as I heard it for the first time and <laughs> listening to it with the, the podcast in mind, I thought, oh, Doug is going to give me the business. He is going to give I guess me I the can't business. If you figured it out without me, it's, it's um, I, I I wish they had a whole album of, of songs like that. I just fell I, in love with it. Yeah, but I I yeah, I am surprised that uh, this that these came out at the same time because I could have just I would have you could have pushed me over if you had told me that they weren't influenced by well, I, that I mean, album. Okay, so the one, uh, the the last thing I'll say is this shows to me that these guys were some phenomenal musicians. I mean, the, 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 well, they're, they're not just a pop band. No, I mean, they're, they're not a pop band. They're not just doing... They are a pop band, but they're not just a pop band. They but, could do other stuff. Don't you think that that speaks volumes to the fact that they were the backup band for Lennon, yeah, for Harrison, yeah, yeah, for... Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's a great band, and that's... Um, it's, this is not the song that's going to hook you the first 
but when it grabs you, yeah. um, you're you're joined for life. And I, I love it's. I'm I'm a, I'm a sucker for you know one song bleeding into another, and just I I think the way that they do it is just really. It, no, I there's agree. at least three tunes here. Right? Yeah. I, I agree with you, and and being that they're two separate yeah. songs, I know Doug's saying three tunes, but being that they're two separate songs, the way they meld them together, and yeah. outside of the vocals changing, you really can't. It sounds. I mean, I, I not to, dis, to discount what Doug said about being three different songs, but it sounds like one uniform attempt. Yeah. Except for the fact that Joey Mullen has a better voice. Mm-hmm. than Mike Gibbons does and when he sings and he's and he's you know he's also I think we'd all agree has a better sense of melody as well so yeah. when he that part of the song comes in but outside of that it's pretty impressive you know yeah. if you're not going to listen to anything else please which we discourage yeah. listen to the yeah, whole, we'll album. To the whole yeah. album but this one is a you very good representation of I'm just especially side two this album. It's it's so fun to be fifty six and to find a new tune that you just love. <laughs> yeah. Well, good. you're welcome. <laughs> Next is Love Time and uh, to believe it, it's hard to realize. It's easy to believe it. It's the love that's in your eyes. I have very little to say about this song. It, it's a fine, it's a good song. It's a great song, stupid name. I really like the solo in this song a lot. I, it's just, it's like what, two and a half minutes? Two, two minutes, minutes, 20 seconds. Yeah. I think it's a great song, but again, uh, yeah, it's not, I mean, it's just a, it's just it's a, a love song. song. Yeah. It's, it's like, like a, it's, it's her majesty. Love time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Love time. And who is this written by? This is Joey, Joey Mullen. Okay. So it's about it. his wife. Oh, that's sweet. That's so sweet. I love that. She, a uh, f- little brief aside, during the recording of this, she went. They they had some issues, and she went off to California, and he followed her. And while they were in California, they talked to a music a music industry attorney who told both of them, "It's common knowledge that your band is getting absolutely screwed by your manager here oh, in the wow. states." And that's when he went back and tried to get the rest of the band on board yep. with getting rid of him, um, Stan Pauly, but uh, it didn't go over so well. <laughs> Well, I, I guess you'll close with that because yeah. it's, that's the that's tragic that's, story. That's the of, sad coda of this. Uh-huh. Yeah. Now, back to the trivia. <laughs> Which Al Stewart song <laughs> does the keyboard solo remind you of? Year of the Cat? That's the only Al Stewart song I know. <laughs> oh, uh, Time Passages? I felt of my mind go drifting into time passages yes go falling in the face if you listen to king yeah. of the load by tom evans that's a uh the song that comes up number three on side two It has a uh, opening that sounds so much like Time Passages that it. Uh, I don't know. I, it, I always try to block out Al Stewart whenever I can. <laughs> but they're, they're, I know I'm in the minority in this 
room. No, you're that. not. Oh, I, I like this song. I do like this. I, I like love the keyboards that. on this it's song. It's a nice Wurlitzer riff. Yeah, I, I really love it. do like. I think it's a a, a fine fine this, song. This song is the only Tom Evans song on the album that that Tom Evans wrote. Um, as I mentioned earlier, Joey Mullen sort of took up the the slack for that. Um, this is the one song that gets stuck in my head that I when I wake up, I, this that I'm whistling this tune. It's stuck in my head. I love I love another. I think it's got another great guitar solo in it. Yep. Um, the harmonies in this song are oh, yeah. great, and mm-hmm. the way this song ends is just fantastic. I know it's it's the quintessential bad finger. Thank song. you. I agree with you. I, I, if you want to know everything. If you want to know what Badfinger is all about, listen to this song. Yeah. It's got the cool solo, which it's like a two guitars going at once. Yeah. One sound, like there's a, a, a slide at one point, and there's somebody just playing like a, a regular uh-huh. solo over it. Wurlitzer piano in that is just is amazing. Um, well, it's just a, a nice, it's just a nice riff. You want to. And I, and I. I'm partial to Tom Evans' vocals. I like them. They're a little sweeter sounding than the other guys yeah. in the band. Um, the harmonies, as I said, are just great in this. And the way, like I said, the way the song ends with that, ah, oh, you know, yeah. that that, yeah. that vocal harmony outro is just oh, yeah. it's power pop yeah. heaven. Power pop heaven. Yeah. And uh, finally, meanwhile, back at the ranch. If I'm a young hipster out there, I may not n- understand. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, back in the think. day when you used to watch uh, westerns, yeah, particularly say. on a Saturday morning, they would uh, like a, a regular recurring uh, right. western TV show. They would say, "Meanwhile, meanwhile back at the ranch," and then and they would, would be, show yeah. what's going on back at the ranch, and then they'd show the guys get on their ponies and go to the saloon and say whiskey. We need to know what happened to so and so, and they're always fighting about water or something like that. So, uh, I don't know how they know about that in Wales, so, but that's a that's a uh, that's very well. Americana. Maybe it has something it's to Western, do with Western uh, Europe. It so. probably has something to do with the the studio they were recording in, Caribou Ranch. Caribou Ranch. Oh, well, there you go. They're in a Colorado. But this is my favorite song on the album. Really? Yes. It's. Um, I would. I think it might be my second. I, I don't I, know what my favorite song on the album is, but this uh, this I'll is definitely you. a highlight. I I was listening to this l- coming home from work tonight with the windows down, turned. I could not turn it up any more than I had it turned up in the car, singing it at the top of my lungs. This song is so great. Um, the progression is amazing. The, the chord progression is amazing. Um, the the harmonies on it are just outstanding and, and it's another song that was two songs that they melded together both and the primary songwriters joining up yeah and it's and, yeah and, it's Ham, it's uh, pete ham and joey mullen and they each have a solo yeah so you can kind of tell where the should i smoke yeah. part but comes you, in but it's really hard to figure out where the hell the meanwhile back at the ranch part comes in for me i, yeah. I, I can't really tell all i can all of a sudden you're like okay where should i smoke part yeah. is okay we're in the should i smoke part but where the hell was the meanwhile uh, back at the ranch? Uh, oh, I love when that kicks in too. When he's 
So when he's, uh, should I smoke or should I die? Just his vocals yeah. on that. Yeah. And just, <laughs> oh, it's so great. And this, is, of course, is a song about where they were. Again, another frustration song about the, yeah. the, the label and their management. And uh, just kind of, a, I mean, the, the, the um, Pete Ham says, you know, if only they would let us know, then we just uh, know how far to go. But instead, they just tell us no, tell us no. And then the Joey Mullen thing is, should I smoke or should I die? Somebody right. must tell me why. Should I laugh? Should I cry? Won't somebody help me? They're both, yeah. like, both from a different point of view saying, we're in a mess here and we don't know what to do about this. Yeah. yeah. I love the way the horns come in towards ah, the end. And it's the nice average and white horns. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but just very subtle. Um, it doesn't. It, but it just adds some some oomph to the end of the that song. You get start. Oh, the song's getting a little bit. Oh no, it's not getting boring because I got this cool. Oh no, I think this song's fantastic. It feels so much. It, it doesn't feel like five minutes. It's over with mm-hmm. so quickly. I want to hit repeat. No, and have it, it play again. Really doesn't. Or pick no. up my needle and move it back to the start. I guess I yeah. should say. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Song. All right. Well, Tony. Uh, thank you for introducing us to a yes excellent album with nine songs I never heard before. Thank you very <laughs> and, much. I was the best. Uh, but I'd life. like to I like to uh, say unthank you for taking away the joy I was anticipating <laughs> for bringing up ELO uh-huh. on. Uh, yeah. In the meantime, in some I, other town. I apologize. Well, I want to say thank you. This, this was my. Uh, this is a great discovery. It, it been the highlight of this uh, uh, this last year that we've been doing this. Oh show. well, I, this yeah. is uh, this I is feel a, good about that. I think my favorite power pop album. Wow. All right. Well, anyway, this is a is a good re- record, and uh, those of you who have the patience to dig in a little bit and discover new music, I think you will find this well worth your time. Tony. Yes, Doug. This band went through a period of pretty remarkable success, and everything came apart. And it's one of the most tragic stories of any rock and roll band that I've heard. Can you tell us a story about that? Yeah, so as I mentioned earlier, the label, because of their their new york management uh decided to pull the album and i was wrong it was it didn't hit 178 it hit was it was 148 it was charting at 148 when they pulled it um so uh because of the turmoil after this album was recorded pete ham actually decided to quit the band he leaves the band and the rest of the band uh soldiers on and they hire a guy a guitarist keyboardist named bob jackson well, Pete Ham decides he made a big mistake, and he comes back. And one of the reasons why he decided a big mistake is that he he um, he cared about the other guys, and the label threatened to drop him if he didn't right. come back. So he came back. And so for a while, they toured as a five-piece with Bob Jackson still in the band. But after that tour, Joey Mullen had had enough of their finances. They were, um, they were getting $1,500 a month at, for from all the money they were making. I mean, that's ridiculous. Yeah, they were um, they were uh, sitting on top of gold albums and gold uh, singles and not receiving enough to live on. Yeah, they couldn't even uh, they couldn't even buy new shoes sometimes. I mean, it's really sad. Anyway, so Joey leaves the band, they decide to continue on with Bob Jackson and they immediately go into the studio and record another album called Head First. 
and a, and this and a lot of this, I think, was pressure from Stan Pauly wanting to bilk them out of more money and get another advance. Um, they, so they record this album head first, and Warner Brothers doesn't. E- it's not even released. It's immediately shelved. They put. They don't even release it. Um, and so uh, the band is in dire straits financially. I mean, they're just really, really hurting. Pete Ham has uh, has. Um, settled down with with um with his girlfriend at the time um who we've talked about um Ann Ferguson and uh and he uh and she gets pregnant and they decide uh, and they've got a house a brand new house and he cannot afford it and so he tries to reach out to Stan Pauly to get some money Stan Pauly doesn't return his calls uh long story short he goes out into his garage and hangs himself. Um, his suicide note, which was addressed to both Anne and her son, ended with, P.S., Stan Pauly is a soulless bastard, and I will take him with me. That's how he ended the suicide note. Um, Tom Evans, uh, his wife, or I don't know if they're married or not, but Anne found him the next morning. Tom Evans was actually the one who took him down. So you imagine what that did to that yeah. guy. Um, yeah. It's interesting. Al Cooper, who also worked for Stan Pauly, said this about him. He said, Polly reminded me of Dr. Hannibal Lecter from the Thomas Harris books <laughs> an acknowledged brilliant doctor who just happened to eat a few of his patients. Mm-hmm. So that kind of sums up that thing. Anyway. Um, so that head first album was finally released in 2000, but it didn't see the light of day before that the band breaks up. Um, a little while later, Joey Mullen and Tom Evans, uh, get together and release a couple of not real great albums under the name Badfinger, mainly because the label wanted them to be called Badfinger. The first one was called Airways, which was released in 79, and the second one was called Say No More, which was released in 81. That Say No More album actually had Tony Kay on it, who was huh. a former keyboardist from Yes. Yeah. Um, but there was const- they're still constantly, constantly arguing about money. And uh, yeah. eight years after Pete Ham hung himself, Joey Mullen and Tom Evans getting some argument about finances. Tom Evans, after a conversation with, uh, with Joey Mullen that night decides he's going to also take, uh, the way out and hangs himself as well. Eight years after, um, Pete Ham does it right. But Joe, Joey Mullen continues to tour. Uh, when he tours, he calls himself Joey Mullen's bad finger just because he has honestly said, I'm not going to get bookings as Joey Mullen, but if I put bad finger on it and I've actually seen him twice, it's been 20 years since I saw him, but I saw him play twice and it was great. You know, I mean, it was, I mean, it's not bad finger, but it was, he was doing bad finger songs. The guy yeah, he seems sing. to be in good health, good spirits. <laughs> yeah. And- so, um, Anyway, it's a very, very sad story. Um, in fact, their biography, uh, uh, their memoir, whatever you want to call it, their biography of the band is called Without You, The Tragic Story of Badfinger. And I think that's an understatement. Yeah, it it's. I can't think of another band that has a worse uh, story. Um, these guys, it seemed like they went up fast. Maybe Leonard they, Skinner. <laughs> well, that wasn't someone's fault, though. I mean, it was just... That was bad luck happening yeah. at a, but this is this is just uh, you you can probably look at some soul artists from the fifties and sixties that might have well, I think, screwed I think more. The, but the problem here was that Pete Ham, by everyone's account, was a very trusting soul, and while the rest of the guys wanted to get rid of Stan Pauly, he didn't. 
He trusted him, even yeah. as the guy was stabbing him in the back. Yeah. Don't trust people. That's what we're telling you <laughs> at uh, This Is Vinyl Talk. Not in the record business. No. Don't trust music people like JM. Record um, companies don't lose. All right, guys. It's time for us to put down our review. As, as all of our uh, devoted fans know, we have a... Uh, review for our personal opinion that is not the same as a critical opinion and we then give a critical opinion jm your personal opinion on this record my personal opinion is there is nothing bad about this album nothing stuck Except out the to finger <laughs> nothing stuck out to me is anything like that stuck in my craw it's like wow i wish they hadn't have done that I, there's not a thing i would have changed about the album i wouldn't have changed the the even the sequencing of the songs i wouldn't have uh, i wouldn't have changed it even has probably their best album cover too yeah it does have one of the coolest album covers in the history of uh, album covers um i'll, I'll give it a 4.5 i i can't the only reason i'm gonna not that's your a, personal uh, my personal the only reason i'm not going to give it a a, a 5.0 is there it, it's just uh maybe what you're saying doug it's like there's not quite the hook there there's just not something that's like i want to go back and hear this song but i there are going to be times when i know i'm going to want to go back and hear this whole album as a heartless critic i'm going to give it a 4.5 I, I mean it, it, same rating I, it's um like I said, there's nothing. The musicianship is pretty much flawless. The uh, songwriting is great. Um, you know, it, it might not have some emotional resonance, like uh, something from a Springsteen album, early Springsteen album, or something. But um, it is for what it's doing and what it's trying to achieve. I think it's damn near perfect. All right. Well. Uh, since Tony chose this album, I think I'll put myself before Tony so he can uh, end end us. Um, as a critic, I'm going to give this 4.0. Uh, it's it's definitely a talented band with uh, good songwriting skills, excellent singing, and a tight production. I have nothing negative to say about that. Uh, personally. I would give this uh, 3.5. It's more that it's not in my uh, genre. It's not a genre that I'm attracted to. Uh, (laughs) Let me make an exception for meantime (laughs) some other time, which uh, that song really drug me in. But uh, I'm pleased to have spent time with this album. I may have listened to this album more than any other that we've covered, except for uh, the Moody Blues, which I couldn't stop myself from listening to over and over again. All right, Tony. Yeah, Doug. This is your album. It is. Tell us what you think about this album. So I'll go. I'll go cold-hearted critic first. Um, I'm going to give it a 4.4 for that. And the reason why is thinking like a critic. I think. I think the the shadow of straight up um is going to be overshadowing this album from a critic standpoint that album has two monster hits on it it um it it's a crunchier album it 
it came out at a time when there was still hope that Power Pop was going to prevail. This album came out in the right when Prague was really starting to take over. So I think as a critic, look, putting on a critic hat, I don't think there's anything wrong with this, but I'm just comparing it to their, their, their discography. Um, as a fan, this is my favorite Badfinger album. And this, uh, I, I read someplace where someone said this is the most bad fingery of all the bad finger albums, and I agree with that. I can see that. Um, I give it a five. I can't not give this album a five. This is a band that uh, essentially pioneered the kind of power pop I love. Yeah. And this album is a direct, like, linear, straight to the heart of that stuff. Um, well, one, okay. I'm going to ask you a Real quick question. There's uh-huh. not a lot of jangly guitars on this, so no. But that's okay. So I, I will clarify something if you if you want me to. Um, yes, there's jangle pop, which I love, but there's also stuff like this, which is just crunchy, jangleless. Yeah, um, you know, not uh, a lot of twelve string guitars, not a lot of no, arpeggios. No, 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 no. But that's that's a that's a type of power pop. But sure. there's also I stuff. Mean, no like, matter what you want, jam. Anyway, uh, I like loud, crunchy power pop a lot. Okay. Um, you should have told us earlier. And I, and this album has that in spades. Uh, I give it a 5-0. Uh, it, I can't not give it a 5-0. I just have to do it. Yeah. I understand, particularly with that, uh, that ELO sound on the <laughs> track, track one and side two. Again, restraint. <laughs> Key restraint. All right. Well, Tony, yeah. um, you know, me and the younger people are interested in more contemporary music, and I was wondering, what do you have for the kids tonight? Well, I've done this a couple of times, and I, I don't want to get in a rut with this, but this is definitely worth mentioning. So I sent you guys a clip. I don't know if you listened to it. No, of course not. But uh, Joey Mullen put out an album in 2020 called be true to yourself now he's put out i think four or five maybe six solo albums i've got a couple of them they're okay this album is great i don't know what got into this guy that he put out an album in this part of his career that sounds like this but it is it is a guy who said i'm gonna make a power pop album yeah it i I it's i listen to this album it's his first album in seven years i listen to it and i think this is the kind of stuff McCartney should be writing right now, and he's not. It's really great. It's unbelievably catchy. Um, and uh, I just think it's really worth giving a guy in this part of his career who's willing to put out something at, at this high quality the props he deserves. Standout songs are Things Will Be Better Tomorrow, the title track, but my favorite song is called Loving You. It's just great. Uh, there's not a bad song on the album. There's some that are weaker than others, but you'll surprise yourself. If you like this kind of music, I recommend getting it. It's well worth a listen. Oh, high praise indeed. All right. Well, thank you, Tony. That's it for tonight's show. Next week, we're going to be looking at 
one of the biggest albums, as far as the critics are concerned, from the mid-80s, XTC's Skylarking. For all our fans out there, we would love for you to visit our group page on Facebook. We're also on Twitter at Tapping Vinyl. Tell your friends that they can download us on any of their favorite podcasting platforms. And you can email us at tappingvinyl at gmail.com. For our host, Doug Cooper, our co-host, Tony Slagle, and me, your humble producer, Jonathan J.M. Rowe. This is Vinyl Tap, where all the podcasts go to 11. And reminding you, we got to get out of here. <laughs> I'm, I think I'm the only one that loves Al Stewart. Uh, one of my, I have a good friend in Wisconsin, Rich, who had one of our biggest uh, arguments over his love of Al Stewart. And I mean, I, love. I think I think Al Stewart sounds very effeminate, very uh, <laughs> European, very. Uh, <laughs> let me sit down on my blanket in this pretty. Um, he sounds like bad Donovan. And Donovan <laughs> is bad. <laughs> No, I'm, I'm going to tell you a funny story. When I was six years old, my parents took me to this lady to uh, to babysit me while they went out to a, a party. And I wouldn't go to bed because I wanted to see the Prince of Wales. And I thought that meant the kind with the fins and the, the tail. <laughs> and it was, it was Charles and Diana getting married or something like that. And uh, I was wanting to watch... Wales. So I made this lady let me stay up till two o'clock to watch Wales, and she goes, "He won't go to sleep. I don't know what's." And then a fit. Anyway, that's probably boring. That's probably good for an outtake. Yeah. Uh, Everybody's smiling, sunshine.